How does a six-minute subway ride impact the national economy? Let's learn together. Welcome. I'm Samantha Deliberti, founder of the social impact hub, Orange You Going, and this is Progress Through Purpose. Progress Through Purpose helps you discover issues you're passionate about, like the environment, social equality, affordable housing, and more, and makes it easy for you to affect change while connecting with like-minded New Yorkers in person. Learn from experts working on the vital issues impacting the largest city in the U.S. and hear the solutions they propose. Then meet us in person. Join the Og Squad, a community of changemakers who meet to affect change together. Build new friendships, expand your network, and advance your career through civic engagement, all while uplifting our city. Learn more about the movement at orangeyougoing.com. Hey, Og Squad. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we are joined by Betsy Plum, Executive Director of the Riders Alliance. It's a grassroots organization of New York City subway and bus riders fighting for reliable, affordable public transit. Betsy joined the Riders Alliance in 2020. She is committed to building a stronger, more thriving New York and believes that investing in our public systems and holding those in power accountable will help us get there. Betsy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So can you start by telling us a little bit more about what the Riders Alliance does and also what does it mean to be a grassroots organization? Absolutely. So recapping a little bit of of what you said in my intro, Riders Alliance is New York's grassroots organization of subway and bus riders. We fight for reliable, affordable, world-class public transit in order to build a more just and sustainable New York. And so we do that by organizing with subway and bus riders who believe that public transit is the beating heart of a vibrant, resilient city, but only if it's working and it's working for everyone. And as a grassroots organization, that means that our members, the subway and bus riders that we work with, are at the very heart of our work. When we envision the kind of city that we want to call home, we see racial justice, we see economic equality, we see climate resilience, and a strong public transit system that connects us all. Our members build out every grassroots campaign from demands to strategy to targets with those goals in mind. And together, we hold our elected officials accountable and take direct action to guarantee that riders have a powerful voice in the decisions that impact all of us. And over our 10-year history, we're celebrating a decade of rider organizing this year, we've been really proud to shape our city by transforming riders into a powerful political constituency, but we have a lot more work to do. So that's really interesting that, you know, you don't think of a New Yorker who rides the subway necessarily as what you said, a, a powerful political constituency. And That is the day to day for so many of us. So it's very interesting to think about, you know, something, a theme that comes up on this podcast is this idea of power, where it lies, kind of where it stems from. And it's just very interesting to me that we can see power (laughs) through something that we do day to day. So, you know, something that the Writers Alliance focuses on and talks a lot about is how the subway and bus system is linked to equity. So can you talk a little bit more about that angle as well and why that is such a fundamental part of your work? Absolutely. I'll start by just saying public transit is vital to the health of New York and to all New Yorkers. Our subways and buses carry millions of people every day. They continued to carry millions of people even at the height of the pandemic to work, to run errands, to see the doctor, to visit our friends, our family. 
we have the largest transit system in the country. And so again, even at the height of the pandemic, those were millions of essential workers who were uniquely reliant on public transit to make sure that we had the healthcare we needed, food, medicine, they carried New York. But over the last four to five decades, despite huge increases in transit usage outside of, you know, of course, the last two years, our transit system, it has become slower. It's become less reliable. It has lagged behind accessibility and environmental mandates. We have the slowest buses in the country. They travel on average just about eight miles per hour. And the bus routes that those buses travel on haven't been meaningfully updated since they were established, and many actually trace old trolley lines. So we've really had a transit system in need of a lot of aid and improvement and focus and care. And then we had the existential crisis, right, that the last two and a half years presented and that those brought to transit. And that all matters because we have no choice but to have a well-functioning transit system, and that comes to the equity piece. Without a well-functioning transit system that works again for every New Yorker in every community, we only perpetuate a segregated and stratified New York City. Bus and subway riders are primarily from working class communities of color. They are disproportionately experiencing long rides and unreliable commutes from these communities. And so if we're able to make transit work for everyone, we will be able to have a more just and sustainable and ultimately equitable city. So you bring up a question for me, which is, can we dive a little bit more into what the state of the transit system is today? You mentioned that it doesn't meet accessibility requirements. Maybe you could expand on that. But also, the subway system is in the news constantly, especially around safety. So what is the state of the subway and bus system today? And what are some of the, this is a a larger question, so we can come back (laughs) to parts of it. But what are some of the improvements that the Riders Alliance is seeking? Absolutely. So I'll I'll say in terms of the state of the subway system, in terms of accessibility, about a quarter of our subway stations are accessible. That means three quarters aren't. That's really important for New Yorkers with disabilities. If you use a wheelchair, most of the city is, is locked out to you, right? Because you'll have you know, where I live, I would have to go five stops to be able to get to an accessible station. And that then makes riders uniquely dependent on the bus system. And that returns us to the fact that we have the slowest buses in the country, right? They're stuck in traffic. They're unable to have priority on the vast majority of our streets. And so we're really locking most New Yorkers out to a lot of the city when we talk about accessibility. But this impacts if you use a stroller, right? You've seen parents carrying these huge strollers up and down subway steps. It's incredibly dangerous. And so the accessibility of our system is, is, you know, we are decades behind where we should be in terms of having an accessible system. We also have a system that runs in great part on signals that are from the 1930s. So if you've ever been on... Can you tell (laughs) us what these signals are? I hear about these signals all the time. The signal is down. Can you demystify the signal system? (laughs) You're going to ask me to be more technical than I'm actually capable of being. But the, the important piece here is that there is a piece of technology that is in our tunnels, right, that basically determines how quickly we will be able to go where we need to go. And that technology is is from the 1930s. Now, those are being updated, right? And there is more modern technology going into some of the, the lines that we see moving a lot quicker. We need to bring the entire system up to date. And so that's where, you know, you've probably heard about congestion pricing in the news. 
congestion pricing would be the single greatest investment that we've seen in the MTA's capital program or could see. A billion dollars raised helping us to get to $15 billion that would modernize the MTA system, our subways and buses um, in particular. But that's how we're going to pay for 70 new elevators. That's how we're going to update the signals. That is a really important piece. Uh, Is the Riders Alliance concerned at all that kind of the chicken before the egg, you know, which, which comes first? That if we pass congestion pricing, and maybe you could just define congestion pricing so that all of our listeners have an understanding of what that is. But if we implement congestion pricing, will it overpack our subway and bus system too soon? No, we absolutely need congestion pricing for, and and it goes beyond just funding our public transit system. It's also about saving families and businesses time and aggravation when you're stuck in traffic. And it's about making New York more sustainable and resilient. What congestion pricing is, is it's officially called the New York City Central Business District Tolling Program. It was approved and made into law in 2019 in order to provide a critical funding source to fix trains and buses, to reduce traffic, and to help New York meet really ambitious climate and environmental goals. We need it to fix the transit system, right? That trillion-dollar asset that we have that has just suffered decades of deferred maintenance. Mm -hmm. We need it to reduce congestion. The Partnership for New York City estimates that congestion costs families and businesses $20 billion in lost time, poor health, wasted fuel, wear and tear every year. Yeah. And it would deliver us a more resilient region. We are just past the 10-year mark of, of Superstorm Sandy. We know that despite a lot of the money that has come into the region to better fortify and make us more resilient, we still have an extremely vulnerable region to climate change, to sea level rise, to increasingly extreme weather. I'm sure everyone saw the the videos last summer of subway stations just being completely flooded. Congestion pricing is part of taking us to the future. Now, in terms of of what it means for the system right now and what it means for today is we absolutely need to be bringing these funds in. But the whole point is also mode shift. And at a moment when we are only at 60% of pre-pandemic ridership, there is more than enough room to go in bringing riders to the system. But something that we're fighting for and is a major priority of Riders Alliance right now is what we're calling our six-minute service campaign. And I'll explain what that is because it's important, I think, to riders right now and today, but it's also important to ultimately ensuring that that congestion pricing can be successful. So if you've been riding subways or buses recently, you might have seen 15 minutes for the next train, 20 minutes. We've seen countdown clocks, 35, 40 minutes before the next train is coming. It's even worse on our buses. Six-minute service is a campaign for anyone who is tired of waiting 10, 15, 20 minutes or more for your next train or bus to come. We know that bus and subway service is more unpredictable than ever. Too many riders are facing excruciating wait times, particularly on weekends and outside of the more classic nine-to-five rush. And so we're calling on Governor Hochul to improve transit service for the people who rely on it every single day by running subways and buses at least every six minutes, every day of the week. That requires a targeted investment of up to $300 million in the next state budget. But with that, Governor Hochul can deliver far better service and make transit faster and more frequent than ever before. That's important as we talk about congestion pricing, right? We've seen that 
happened in other cities that implemented the program, notably London, really increasing service, making buses faster and more frequent, more routing with them as well in anticipation of the program going into effect. But also why six-minute service is so important just to our city and to riders as a whole, returning to equity and the importance of transit to equity. Infrequent transit service leaves riders waiting longer, costing them time, anxiety, and sometimes even the cost of an Uber or a job, right? Losing pay, losing that job. Long waits also give people a reason to not ride transit at all. And that takes away from safety in numbers that made our subway system so safe for a generation, right? It was because we were, many riders were on a platform, right? Able to keep one another safe. And so because of travel patterns, we know that that women, people of color, low-income workers are more likely to face infrequent service, more likely to face longer wait times, more likely to face all of the consequences that come from those long wait times. And so Six-minute service means more riders, which is important to the transit system. It means happier riders. It means safer riders. And it also means more equitable, more inclusive, and fairer transit in our city. Something that really stuck out to me when you were talking about just how this campaign would be funded is that it is on the shoulders of the governor and not on the shoulders of the mayor. So can you expand a little bit? Do you... Are you saying that the governor has control over the New York City subway system? I am. (laughs) It's one of the great, and it makes sense. A lot of New Yorkers actually don't know that. When you think about New York City's subway system, if you ask New Yorkers who controls it, you might say, well, the mayor or any of the three departments of transportation that work and operate in and around New York City, right? We have the New York City Department of Transportation, we have the state one, and of course we have the federal one, but it's actually the governor. The governor controls the MTA. She appoints the chairman, the majority of the board. She is the one, the MTA's budget comes from the state's budget in terms of its its greatest approvals. And so it is the governor. And that was something under Governor Cuomo that we really spent a lot of time educating riders around. If we want to have riders being a powerful constituency, and if we want riders being able to meaningfully move policy that will improve their experience, we have to know who our target is. And when it comes to having a better subway and bus system, it is absolutely the governor of New York State. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think given that we are in November and election day is just a few days away, it just highlights how important it is that we have to vote in every election at every level of government, not just for federal presidential election years. So get out and vote, everyone, for whoever is your choice. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Get the most of Orange U going, New York's social impact hub. When you join the Og Squad for free, you receive event notifications curated to your interests. Never miss a change-making event. Orange, you going to be there? So something else I wanted to touch on that you brought up was a number by the Partnership for New York City about the economic impacts. Can we talk a little bit more about how the transit system impacts businesses? So we've, we've touched on the worker who is using the subway system to travel to and from work. Something else that I thought of while you were sharing that, we've had a couple of nonprofits on the podcast just talk about the shelter system and the fact that there are curfews in order to get a bed. And Mm -hmm. so if you are waiting 10 minutes for a subway, you could actually literally miss getting to the shelter in time in order to get a bed. So 
it's all really coming full circle about or for me of how this transit system connects all of this. But is there any more information about how this impacts businesses as a whole, or maybe, you know, the financial impacts of a slow transit system? Transit is absolutely the, you know, we talk about it being the lifeblood of New York City, because it carries all of us, it connects our region, but it is the economic driver, right? New York is only the powerhouse that New York is because of our transit system. And that can't be overstated enough. New York City represents 10% of our national GDP, which means that transit is really the lifeblood to that GDP representation, while also being our pathway to a more sustainable future, which I think is, is an economic story for tomorrow, right? How we are able to, as New Yorkers, we emit three times less carbon pollution than the average American because of our reliance on our transit system. So I could sit here and give you every single economic stat of how important transit is, how we can make it more equitable and thus have a more equitable economy. But it really just does need to be stated that transit is key to New York and New York is key to our overall national and truly global economy. Yeah, I did not know that, that New York City accounts for 10% of national GDP, which explains why in the news, I've read just that the subway system is getting federal attention, which I didn't quite understand, right? I wasn't fully clear on why that is. But it's because what you're saying, it's because New York economy as a whole is so central. And the subway and bus system is how it really moves, right? How we move people to and from where they have to go in a New York minute. (laughs) Um, And so now we're trying to get to a New York six minute, it sounds like with the subway and bus campaign. (laughs) But yeah, that's really interesting. And I think too, you'd also sparked another conversation I had where it was highlighted that in most large cities in, you know, LA and Chicago and other places, usually the biggest polluter is driving, right? New York, or uh, sorry, LA is known for that, you know, the smog issues and those car pollution issues and the traffic. But because of our transit system in New York, our biggest polluter is actually buildings. So very different. But it shows that we are really, in some ways, many steps ahead when it comes to sustainability, because we at least have this infrastructure, but we have to do our part in in keeping it up to make sure that it actually works. So can we touch a little bit, I mean, is the ride, can we touch on safety? Is the Riders Alliance doing any work around the safety issues? We, I, you know, read that the governor, and this again explains why the governor was installing cameras in some of the subway cars. Is the Riders Alliance doing anything on safety? And, you know, what's your take on the state of the system now? It's a great question. We absolutely believe that we need a real safety plan for our city, right? Everyone should be able to ride and feel safe, included, comfortable when when using public transit. We have really wanted to approach the issue of safety, not by going down the same broken window tactics, you know, seeing unnecessary arrests, seeing cruel crackdowns on vendors who are trying to make a living, and the criminalization of those experiencing homelessness, right? It's None of those 
approaches have really made our subway system any more safe, inviting, or reliable. And so we've taken more of a root causes approach to the issues that are at the core of riders' sense of safety, right, in the subway system, and have really tried to craft recommendations alongside partners and allies in the transit space, in the housing space, healthcare, policing reform, affordability, and have come out with recommendations. You know, we are at the end of the day, a transit organization. And so our recommendations are going to most exclusively focus on what the transit system and the MTA can do to improve the rider experience, but also looking at what our allies and partners in housing, healthcare, you know, organizations that work with unhoused populations, what they're also saying we can be doing and trying to bring all of those together. Earlier in the summer, we released a rider's plan for public safety. But in terms of what the transit system can do, you know, we want to increase ridership by reducing wait time. Again, we know that there is safety in numbers. That is what helped be- make our transit system so much safer over the last generation. Increasing the number of people who are in the system, who are able to keep one another safe, that and reducing the amount of time that are spent that's spent idling on station platforms, again, with six-minute service, that will make transit more reliable and ultimately the subway system safer. We believe there should be better staffing and more staffing within stations. New York City transit ambassadors, wayfinders can provide many services and respond to scenarios that don't necessarily require armed officers. And so if we're able to reduce the number of rider interactions with police, that that gives officers who are there more time to do their jobs. A big thing that we've heard from riders is really wanting police there able to, to resolve and respond to violent crimes, right? The crimes that that were, and I think riders are feeling more apprehensive of. If we're really focusing on fare evasion, there is a concern that maybe those officers are not, you know, if they're right by the turnstiles, they're not necessarily on the platforms. And how can, you know, how does that potentially create a disconnect in, in what riders need to be truly safe? And so we've done a lot of work around the Fair Fares program. That was a, a program that we fought for and one a few years ago, but if we can increase the eligibility threshold for fair fares, which gives those who are living at or below the federal poverty line a half fare metro card, if we can expand that to more low-income New Yorkers, we can reduce instances of fare evasion, right? Which would help more riders access public transit and also, again, reduce unnecessary interactions with NYPD. And then ultimately funding better housing options, right? Those who are experiencing homelessness in the subway system are there because there is no better option for them. And so if we are able to access increase access to dignified, permanent housing options. We are able to end the revolving door of NYPD eviction, congregate shelter refusal, and resorting to the subway for shelter, right? The subway should not be a home or a house for any New Yorker. But in order for us to move more New Yorkers out of the subway system, in order for it to be that that shelter of, of, to not be, excuse me, that shelter of last resort, we have to be able to create better, um, more dignified options. And so this is something that we care about deeply. We, I will say, are concerned that time and time again, when there are concerns over safety, we flood the system with a lot of police. But I don't know if we've we've seen that for the last three years and we've continued to see safety concerns. So I think as a city, we have to be doing more than just driving 
police into the subway system if we are going to have a more truly and completely safe system for New Yorkers. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And again, I think the just as you were talking about safety, I mean, safety is a concern that or is an issue that is influenced by many different factors. But again, it just highlights how the subway system in particular, you know, where we've seen a lot of these crimes happening is really a connector, right, of all of these Mm -hmm. different issues of housing, of homelessness, of mental health, etc. So you've talked about the six minute campaign. Can you share a little bit about how your organization advocates for it. You know, you have this pillar that we're working toward. How do we get there? And how can your, how do members help advocate for this campaign? We are a grassroots organization, which means our members are coming up with the strategy around the campaign. Again, really harnessing our power as a movement to drive change and to bring the voices, perspectives, and needs of riders into the policy conversation. And so we are doing that by building grassroots power. We were, we ran a summer of organizing over this summer and we brought in thousands of new members. Unsurprisingly, many of those members were really uh, energized by the promise of better service and the opportunity to work together on a campaign that will deliver better subway and bus service. And so it starts with building that base, really having riders who want to work together to fight. We have a lot of new campaign leaders that came out of that summer organizing, working alongside the member leaders that have been built over the last decade of organizing. And so we are using that base. We're working with finding new members and new perspectives on social media through digital channels, right? We meet riders on subway platforms and at bus stops, but we also know that, you know, there's a lot of riders that are scrolling and feeling aggravated. And so using clickable, creative, quick actions that take the rider who might not have met us on the subway platform, but might be following our six minute service hashtag and is able to say, well, here's what I'm experiencing, bringing all of those voices together and then allowing those to be targeted into action that focuses on the governor and focuses on the governor delivering the investment that riders need to see. Right now, DMTA is facing an incredible fiscal cliff that has a lot to do with how our transit system is funded. We are overwhelmingly reliant on rider fares, right? We force the MTA to run like a private business when it really should be run as a public good, right? We don't say you need to to pay for the fire truck to come, you know, if you have a fire. So why should we be saying, well, the MTA needs to recover all of the funding that it needs by, you know, having fares. And, and that's why we get into this, this stuck conversation of ridership and what level ridership is at. It's because we are relying on riders to pay for about 40% of the MTA. And so at a moment when the MTA is facing a fiscal cliff, we do need to be thinking about how the MTA is differently funded. We need to be able to see more state investment in this transit system that really is an essential public good, an essential public good for our collective and common future. And we are going to be using rider power to push the governor this year in her state budget to make a meaningful and necessary investment in riders. Now is not a moment when we can see the same shared sacrifice that has been required of riders during 
past moments of economic hardship, past recessions. We need to be able to understand the transit system is absolutely vital, right? But work from home is also here to stay, right? We know that persistent lockdown habits have kept people more in their neighborhoods, right? We were just talking about some of the broader social problems that have made some riders wary of subways. And so post-pandemic public transit ridership and revenue growth have stalled, right? And there are in some cases, insufficient reasons to get back on board. And so with roughly 2 million fewer daily trips than before the pandemic, the MTA is going to need to be able to induce and attract non-work trips. That is why we feel the six-minute service campaign is so important, why we are going to be with our members in Albany throughout the coming months, because slashing wait times will bring more of the city within reach from every neighborhood, right? It will give transit a sharper edge over other ways of getting around. We know that if we are able to run subway and bus service at more frequent intervals, some have estimated that we could increase transit ridership by upwards of 15%. And it, but it will cost money. It will cost $250 to $350, but a million dollars, excuse me. But that if we do that, it isn't a tiny fraction of the MTA's overall $18 billion budget, an even tinier fraction of the state's $221 billion spending plan. And so if Governor Hochul can cut wait times for millions of New Yorkers, she can similarly cut, she can take climate action, she can transform the role that transit plays in New York, and she can do it in just a few short months once the state budget is adopted in the spring of 2023. And so that is what our members are going to be working towards this coming year. We are going to be Everywhere we can be with creative actions that show and highlight the suffering that riders are having right now and make it clear to the governor and our state legislature how important and necessary transit is and that we can operate from a perspective of abundance when it comes to delivering what riders want and what riders need. This is why I love to talk to organizations like yours, because you are thinking about an issue from a lens I never would have considered, right? Of course, there's the learning perspective. I did not know, for example, that 40% of the MTA budget was coming from ridership. But this kind of new way of thinking of saying, okay, let's take a big step back and consider, is that model even okay? Is that even acceptable? You know, to your point of you don't have to pay for the fire truck. It makes complete sense that a subway system, a bus system should be considered a public good versus, as you said, being forced to act as a private entity. So what is your one call to action for our listeners? And how can the Og Squad get involved with the Riders Alliance? One call to action is the next time you're on a subway platform or a bus stop and the wait time is over 10 minutes, take a picture, post it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, tag Riders Alliance. And if you're up for it, tag Governor Kathy Hochul, because everyone now knows that the governor runs the MTA. She is the one who decides whether transit receives the funding it needs. She is the one that decides whether you're going to be waiting six minutes or you're going to be waiting 16 minutes or 26 minutes. And we need her to both resolve a multi-billion dollar fiscal cliff that the MTA is facing but to also add the additional investment needed to run more frequent trains and buses, because that is how New York remains a competitive 
city with the rest of the world. And that's absolutely how we should be understanding our future. We are built on transit and we need to have a competitive, fast, frequent, world-class public transit system. If you're really energized by this, please join our movement. You can go to ridersalliance.org slash join. If you want transit to work for you, if you want transit to work for New York, if you want it to work for the future, we need your voice at the table. We need riders to join as members to shape our work. We also have a sustaining member program, which is really important to our ability to fund the community organizing work that we've been talking about that makes big change. Our transit allies are members who donate $5 or more a month and are absolutely core to that support. That's great. Thank you, Betsy, so much for joining us today and for walking us through this really important issue. And for anyone who enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to either leave a review or share it. It really helps get the word out and helps fellow New Yorkers learn about important issues like this. Betsy, thank you again so much for all that you do. Thank you. So I'm I'm excited to see, of course, I'm excited to see what happens next year. (laughs) Yes, yes. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, have a great rest of your day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Are you hosting a social impact event? Post it for free on orangeygoing.com to reach the most engaged New Yorkers. When you post with us, we promote it to our email list of nearly 10,000 subscribers across social media and on orangeygoing.com. Let's engage New Yorkers together.